Bismillah, alhamdulillahi wahduhu, wassalatu wassalamu ala man la nabiyu ba'duhu, nabiyyana Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahduhu la sharika la, wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and uh, welcome to another episode of Faith Foundations where our aim by Allah's grace is to try to solidify our fundamentals in terms of beliefs, in terms of religious practice and in terms of uh, the actions of the heart which we may call spiritual matters. Faith Foundations is about really trying to cement in our lives the idea of becoming beloved to Allah by doing those things that please him and those things that he finds uh, acceptable. It is rooted in that great uh, Islamic tradition of Iman, Islam, and Ihsan, as per the hadith, the famous hadith of the angel Gabriel, the, uh, the hadith Jibreel, alayhi salam, where he comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam, and, he, uh, and they don't know he's an angel, and he asks the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam three questions in order for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam in this one short sitting or meeting, in order to give the, uh, a chance to the Prophet to sum up 23 years of prophetic teachings in a short time, in five, seven minutes or however long <coughs> that whole majlis um, took. And he asks the Prophet Islam, tell me about Islam or inform me about Islam. And the Prophet uh, said that Islam is and he mentions the five pillars of religious practice, the shahada, the prayer, uh, the fasting, the pilgrimage, and the zakat. And then he and then he's asked, tell me about faith uh, or belief. And then the Prophet replies by uh, mentioning the six pillars of religious belief, belief in Allah, the books, the angels, the messengers, the last day and a divine decree. And then the angel says, anil ihsan, inform me of ihsan, uh, spiritual excellence or excellence. And the Prophet alayhi salatu salam replies that you worship Allah as though seeing him and though you see him not, know that he sees you. So it's not just about worshipping worshiping Allah. It's about worshipping. That's what the Quran says. That's our purpose of being created. But here the Sunnah teaches us it's not just about worshipping Allah, but rather worshipping him. As though seeing him, meaning seeing him with the eye of the spiritual heart. And then the angel goes away, asks uh, a few more questions, eventually goes away. A few days later, Umar radiallahu bumps into the Prophet somewhere in the streets of Medina. 
And uh, the Prophet says, did you know who that person was, uh, O Umar? And, uh, and Umar says, Allah and his messenger knows, knows best. Who was that stranger who came to us the other day? And the Prophet says, Innahu Jibreel, that was the angel Gabriel. He came to teach you your religion. That's our manhaj, that's our path, that's our way, that's our method, that's our methodology. To uh, secure in our heart basic beliefs that are befitting of uh, Tawheed, of Abrahamic monotheism. Uh, basic religious practice which give uh, which uh, which uh, flesh out those beliefs in the heart and they manifest those beliefs in the heart in terms of uh, actions and deeds and duties uh, that we do primarily in terms of worshiping Allah but also in terms of uh, serving others and duties rights and responsibilities to others and then there are the actions of the heart, which we may, which we may call um, spiritual matters uh, uh, to do with ihsan, spiritual excellence, which are also in general an obligation. And they give inner depth to the beliefs and the actions to Iman and Islam. In fact, it could even be said Iman and Islam are there to make ihsan a reality so that we can worship Allah with the basic sound beliefs, with the, uh, with by at least fulfilling the fara'i, the obligations in terms of actions, but we can begin to worship Allah with profoundity, depth, uh, profound loving submission, uh, without pretensions or ego getting in the way, that it's sincerely and purely for God and God alone. And subhanAllah, that is really what we're trying to uh, remind ourselves. So walaikum as-salam to all of you who've, who have just kind of uh, joined us and um, given their salams uh, on screen and to those who uh, haven't given their salams on screen, but I know that the heart is saying salams. Um, so what's our show for today? Well, we're on hadith number 20, and hopefully I thought we were trying to do hadith number 21 as well from the book that we're uh, going through at the moment, the call to 40 hadith on the call to Islam and the caller uh, by the late, late Sheikh uh, Ali Hassan uh, al-Halabi. Uh, uh, and today's show can be summed up perhaps by saying that it's about uh, the three pillars of spiritual practice. So the two hadiths we're going to do today, I'm going to try to link it to the idea of these three pillars of spiritual practice. So let's look at the first hadith. Um, just to get us started, and hopefully the link might become apparent um, somewhere along the way. So, uh, we read uh, from Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu, hadith 20, who said that Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, said, لِكُلِّ عَمْلٍ شِرَّةٍ 
walikulli shirratin fatra faman kanat fatratuhu ila sunnati faqad ihtada waman kanat fatratuhu ila ghayri dhalika faqad halaka for every action there is a period of enthusiasm uh, activity and for every period of in, period of enthusiasm and activity there is a period of inactivity or rest so he whose period of rest or inactivity is in accordance with my sunnah then he is rightly guided but he whose period of rest or inactivity accords with other than that then he is destroyed or he is ruined and this hadith is uh, a sound hadith authentic hadith in the musnad of imam ahmed imam ahmed ibn hanbal's uh, musnad okay so what 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 is it telling us for every action likulli amalin shirra wa likulli shirratin fatra for every action there is a period of enthusiasm or activity and then after that enthusiastic enthusiastic time things tend to slow down a bit and level out for and every period of enthusiasm after that there is a period of rest or inactivity we're being told by the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or one of the things rather we're being told by the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is that the nature of religious practice is such that when we begin uh, on the path of religious practice or religious observant observance you know it's all the sleeves are rolled up we're fully focused we're we're on a high it's a buzz uh we're going to this talk we're going to that talk we're buying this book we're listening to this video uh we're we're in contact with these other seekers uh of religious knowledge like uh, like me and it's you know it's a buzz and and you know one feels that uh they're really making progress on the path but just like anything else in life newness or novelty fades away and the the inf- enthusiasm that we may have had <coughs> at the start <coughs> of something new this doesn't have to p- apply to religion this can apply to anything um our job okay for example or uh, or, or or a particular sport that we do or a particular a new friend that we've made or a particular new piece of tech or an or, or a new item of clothing that we brought okay uh initially when it's new there's a lot of enthusiasm about it and for it in its in the various ways uh but the novelty wears off and after that enthusiastic period when it comes to say religious practice um instead of 
instead of being in fifth gear or in overdrive, we kind of like pull the gear stick back and we come down to like second gear or God forbid, even in first gear. Well, maybe not God forbid, but just first gear. Uh, God forbid would be to go in reverse, right? That would be God forbid. That would be now all the billah in the attic. Uh, and the Prophet is pointing to this uh, human reality that we can't keep to, we can't always be on a buzz. We can't always be in fifth gear. It's just not humanly possible for, for, the, uh, for, for, uh, uh, for most of human beings or nearly all human beings. There will have to be a time, especially when the novelty wears off, just by nature, one kind of moves down a few gears. And the Prophet Sallallahu is saying that after that period, period of um, high activity and enthusiasm, in this case, let's talk about religious practice, then things are going to slow down. And there could be a number of reasons. The novelty wears off. Um, I'm, uh, I'm growing, uh, you know, I'm a few years older, so I might have a few more re uh, worldly responsibilities to take care of. If I'm a student, right, uh, just at college or uni, I probably don't have, barring studying and passing some exams, I probably don't have that many responsibilities. I may have some chores at home that mum and dad tell me to do. I may have some uh, duties and obligations to kind of visit relatives with my parents now and again or whatever. But on the whole, there isn't that much. Uh, there aren't that many responsibilities that I as a young man or as a young woman who is studying uh, probably have. But by the time someone finishes uni, for example, and then they find that they have to get a job and then that perhaps they're, uh, they're married, uh, they're married or on the cusp of getting married. Then the responsibilities of the world begin to uh, begin to grow and perhaps even pile up. And when we enter that rat race, that kind of nine to five um, worker day life, uh, then we have, you know, then it's like it's a mad rush. You know, we're now traveling to work uh, on the on the tube. I mean, I'm talking about uh, Britain, UK here on the tube, which is a hassle and changing tubes. And then I'm at work with with deadlines and, and, and meetings and, you know, and I come home and I'm so exhausted. And then if I have uh, if I have a spouse and, and a family, then I have to kind of, you know, there are rights that I, they have over me. And just by. Uh, by by love and 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 family love, I want to be with them as well. And so the uh, and so religious observance can move from like a fifth gear mode, right? Kind of like I'm speeding along in like in, in in a Ferrari, so to speak, to kind of chugging along in like kind of like on like on I don't know, like on a I don't know, on a pair of skates or a a real old clapper or old, old banged up, banged up car. It's just chugging along. And that's what the Prophet is referring to uh, in terms of human activity and human uh, inactivity or human lesser activity. 
And so the prophet then says, alayhi salatu salam, that in that period of kind of like, all right, you're not on that high now, you're just on a constant. You're constantly in second gear, which is good, better than being in first gear. And first gear is better than being in neutral. And neutral is probably, I mean, I haven't given this enough, enough thought, but neutral is probably better than being in reverse. Although I'm not quite sure if there is a difference between neutral and reverse in this particular analogy. But there is a constant second gear. Um, I've grown up now, I've got one or two children. Um, my friends that I went to college with, they too have moved on, perhaps even they don't even live in the same, lo same locality. Uh, they too might have uh, family and uh, work commitments, don't see each other as much. Uh, I'm not able to get out to talks as much. Um, the good thing with the, the social media age and the YouTube age is that you know, to listen to a decent talk, you don't really have to get out to a mosque or to an Islamic centre. Uh, one can find a few um, good uh, talks on, on YouTube. When I say a few, I don't mean two or three, but I'm talking about in terms of percentage of the rubbish and of the stupidity um, and of the, uh, of the inappropriacy that is out there within the Islamic YouTube, blogosphere, social media um, scene. Um, and so the Prophet is saying that don't be too alarmed, that's natural, and it is good, providing فَمَنْ كَانَتْ فَتْرَتُهُ إِلَى سُنَّتِ فَقَدِهْتِدَى if this period of karma activity is still directed towards my teachings, my guidance, uh, uh, is, uh, to my sunnah, sorry, then that it, you're still rightly guided. So maybe, uh, maybe I don't attend, maybe I don't listen to five or six talks as I used to listen to uh, back in the day, and maybe I don't finish a book uh, every week that I used to finish back in the day, maybe I don't sit down in the circle of scholars at least once or twice a, a week as I did back in the day. But alhamdulillah, I'm still maintaining, maintaining my five daily prayers. I'm still trying to avoid the basic harams in life in terms of food, in terms of income, in terms of what I'm actually watching or using my eyes for, and so on and so forth. I'm still trying to be aware of the sins of the tongue and trying to curb uh, sinning with the tongue. And I'm still like kind of uh, committed to, uh, to Allah and the Messenger Sallallahu I'm still committed to the path of the Akhirah. The world, as important as it is, doesn't mean more to me than Allah and the Akhirah. Okay, it's just that I I have to deal with it much more than uh, now that I'm married and got a job than when I was just um, young, free, and single. 
um, to use that old phrase. And so the Prophet says, if this period of lesser activity is directed towards my teachings, my sunnah, then that is guidance. And that is something we should be thankful for. And that is something we should praise Allah and thank him for, that he's kept us on guidance consistently. And as some of you or many of you will recall, the, the, the famous hadith where the Prophet says that the deed most beloved to Allah is the deed that is done consistently, even if it is small. Why? Because consistency shows dedication and commitment. Inconsistency doesn't show the same thing. And to be consistent in our journeying to Allah is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and is pleased with and draws that person closer to them and elevates them in darajah and sharafah, in rank and nobility, subhanAllah. Yes, there is a question. And I want us to consider it, but not be obsessed with it, which is this. When Allah takes a young man or woman from the clutches of, of the monoculture, of, of, of liberal society, of the consumerist, liberal, um, atheistic society. And he takes them, okay, uh, from, uh, from that environment and he puts them in contact with sacred knowledge, ilmu shari with knowledge of the Qur'an, knowledge of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, Sunnah and Seerah, life and guidance and teachings, knowledge of, uh, uh, keeps them in company, uh, keeps them in the company of good people and other seekers or even others, uh, or even scholars, ulama, or even awliya, Allah's friends and saints. Uh, then in, and he makes them learners and seekers of religious knowledge and he makes them people who, in their actions, in their tongue, they're trying to invite or call or summon others to Islam. Or, in terms of Muslims, remind um, lazy Muslims and Muslims who have become indifferent to their religion about the importance of uh, seeking Allah and the afterlife. Then, in one sense, Allah has put such people in that enthusiastic activity on the front line of jihad al-dawah of the striving wherein we are calling people to islam and learning sacred knowledge and that is subhanallah that's just up there up there and then at some point in our lives we find ourselves married with children or seeking marriage or in whatever situation we are, we're not as active. Now, that may simply be 
a reflection of the reality that this hadith okay is talking about after every period of enthusiasm comes a period of lesser activity or even rest that's just the nature of life and human beings even in a, with our religious hats on even when we're talking about religious observance and there is nothing wrong in that as long as our life now is oriented towards uh, seeking Allah in the hereafter. It's just a new stage of our life and it begets a new struggle. We might bring into this to this uh, discussion uh, that one day some, some and the hadith is authentic, one day a few of the companions saw a young man and he's rushing and they know that he's rushing to get to work. Uh, and so they make they make a remark, they make a quip that, oh, if only he rushed to, to worship Allah the same way that he's rushing to go to work. And the Prophet says to them, don't say that. For whoever leaves their house in the morning in order to bring in a livelihood to... Uh, uh, to support their dependence for is in the path of God. Whoever leaves their house in the morning in order to uh, earn a livelihood it, so as to support their parents for is in the path of God. Whoever leaves their house in the morning uh, to earn a livelihood so as to feed their wife and uh, and children for is in the path of God. Wow, something so mundane, working, bringing in a basic income that every human being, including we Muslims, have to do. The Prophet says that you know what, when the heart is attached to Allah in the hereafter, and there is this overall orientation towards right guidance and godliness in terms of what the Prophet came with of guidance, religion and piety, then even when you do those mundane things for and Muslims know this maqam, this station when it's mentioned in the Quran it's, it's an Ali Daraja, it's a high rank and our Prophet mentioned that high rank in the context of a mundane 95 job with the condition that the heart, the being is oriented towards seeking God in the hereafter. So it could be that Allah has just moved us from one front line, one fisa bilillah path of knowledge, seeking knowledge and doing da'wah to another fisa bilillah path. And we say, Alhamdulillah, Ashkurullah. However, it may be something not as blessed as that. Indeed, it might not even be blessed at all. It may be, as some of our scholars point out and remind us, that due to our sins, or due to our defective intentions, 
that we weren't really going for Allah in the first place. We were just going along with the crowd. It became fashionable to go to Islamic talks and watch YouTube videos, for instance. In the earlier days, back in the 80s, when you would hardly find a Muslim sister in college or university in London wearing, wearing a hijab, let alone a niqab, let alone a face veil, then no one did it for following fashion. If you were growing a beard back in the late 70s and the 80s in university, not like, you know, I'm kind of retired or, you know, you know, live near a mosque and, you know, that's my life. No, when you're in the thick of uh, the consumerist, materialist, uh, liberal lifestyle and, you know, and Allah orientated those young men and women in the, in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, then that probably was the real deal because there is no fashion to follow. Following fashion would be, you know what, no hijab, no beard, no prayer, no nothing. Let's just, I'll do that when I'm 40 or 45 after I've gone to pilgrimage or hajj. Now, however, when it's, you know, just the done thing and when it's now become uh, very, uh, very okay within the Muslim community once again, intentions might not always be correct. Maybe I started going to, to circles on and connecting myself with religious knowledge initially for God, but at some point, um, God became less of the goal, and I love the arguments. I love the empowerment, how I could then take hadiths and verses that I might have learned and then beat my fellow Muslim brothers and sisters over the head with, oh, you know what, you're doing bid'ah, that's a dodgy thing you're doing, and, you know, you should learn like me kind of thing. You feel a bit of a hero, and you go from... Uh, being the youngest child in the or the middle child in the family because the youngest child is always doted on the oldest child is probably always respected but you're somewhere in the middle it's like <laughs> I'm not saying that's how it should be or it always is but you understand what I'm trying to say uh, and all of a sudden uh, the kind of the middle child becomes practicing and whatever and everyone's paying him attention or her attention and it's a good thing and at last my voice is fi finally heard people People have given me the attention that I deserve, right? Because I was attention starved before then, which is not a good thing, but I was attention starved. Well, then the intentions aren't really for Allah. And so uh, when the time was right, instead of, now I'm not saying that this is the case, I'm saying we need to be careful that it isn't the case. And so when the time was right, and in Allah's divine wisdom, he took the person off of the front line and put them in a mundane life as khidran, as a disgrace because their intentions were always defective they were really not seeking Allah or they were using religion to seek the world or to seek someone to marry or to just uh, assuage their ego through argumentation and you know what I find troubling today I find it troubling with myself but I find it troubling with with us Muslims in general when we look at the Sahaba and the early Salaf we find 
a tremendous concern about sincerity with them. Hmm. They're not quite sure if it was for God, but they did it. And you and I, subhanAllah, how dare, how dare you even get me to question my sincerity? I know I'm sincere, right? What else could I be? I'm as sincere as can be in everything. I got married for the sake of Allah. I did this for the sake of Allah. MashaAllah, bro. You have got a halo on your head and it's not because of a toothpaste advert. You must be a saint. You must be a wali if you did it purely for the sake of Allah. There are great imams and great scholars and great awliya who couldn't guarantee that they did anything purely for the sake of Allah. So what did they do? They lifted their hearts after they did the deed. They lifted their hearts away from their deed and just said, Ya Allah, Rabbana taqabbal minna, Rabbana taqabbal minna, Rabbana taqabbal minna. Oh Allah, accept it from me. I know it's not good. I know there's all sorts of debate, but Ya Allah, forgive me, accept it from me. That's what they did. But we, we don't have to do that. Alhamdulillah, we don't have to say Rabbana taqabbal minna because why shouldn't Allah accept our deeds? Because it's just... It's just overflowing, it's bubbling with sincerity. And so maybe the going down into second gear is not moving from one blessed state that Allah is pleased with for another blessed state that Allah is still pleased with for me. But maybe because of my defective intentions, maybe because of some sin or sins, my attitude or whatever else, it's khidlan, it's a disgrace, it's divine disgrace. Allah says, I gave you a chance of being on the front front line and serving me and work, you know, and and upholding the banner of my tawheed. Okay and my teachings but instead of focusing on me and making me Allah the goal you had other ideas so I gave you chances after chances after chances month after month after month after three or four years you yourself have been the cause of your disgrace go just work nine to five be a dunya person I don't want you seeking serious knowledge because people like you with the wrong intention. I will save you from yourself. That's another way of seriously and Islamically looking at it. And if that is the case, we have to recognize that, that in ourselves. And we have to make sincere tawbah. Ya Allah, forgive me. Ya Allah, lift this disgrace from me. We may try to justify it with all, all types of things. Oh, you know what? I don't hang around with those brothers anymore. They're just this, that, and the other. I'm better off on myself. But actually, maybe Allah removed you from them, not them from you. I think if we're perfectly honest, um, 
I don't think many of us, if you are like me, I don't think you're, we are in a position to have husnudan about our own ego. I don't think we, we can afford to have a good opinion about our own lower motives. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness and, um, and guidance. And so the Prophet says, um, you know, so if there is a general orientation in Charlatan, and that's a, a sign of something good. But if, if in this period of uh, lesser activity, actually, um, when I was in back in the days, I was doing more fara'id, forget about optional deeds, leave optional deeds. I was more consistent in my prayer. I was more careful of what is halal and haram. I was more careful about my tongue. I was more careful about this, that, and the other from Islamic knowledge and guidance. And now it's like I'm a bit laid back. Yeah, I do my prayers generally, sometimes, maybe, sometimes not. Yeah, maybe um, I've indulged in harams a bit more, and I've kind of expand, expanded the boundary of what the grey areas are. Then that probably isn't a good sign, and one needs to make tawba. Um, so that's this particular hadith. Now, um, to, to tell the truth, I actually didn't think that I would be so overburdening today. I mean, just saying those things has weighed heavy on me. Um, I, I actually feel I'm heavy hearted. Uh, simply because of the reason is um, I can't be sure if uh, in my younger days back in the uh, back in the early 80s throughout the 80s and the 90s whereby uh, every day every day because at some point in uh, some point at the end of 1980 um, after I left university and after I got a job uh, in the city I actually left my job full-time to study Islam um, it was I was kind of part-time studying Islam and doing dawah for all those seven or eight years and then uh, around about 87 88 or 88 89 I thought no let me start taking my Arabic seriously and learning with the ulama and so that kind of started it started slowly first and during those days out of seven days of the week um, I could be literally traveling outside of London to do a talk or a circle um, six out of seven days, every day of the week, every day. And my and my parents, mashallah, my late parents, uh, may Allah have mercy upon both of them. They were incredibly helpful to me, uh, incredibly supportive. Um, and even on Eid days, they would say, "Look, okay, at least come round to to your auntie and uncle's house, and you know, after the Eid prayer, spend a few hours with them, and then if you want, you can go out and and." You know, if there's a talk to do, then um, do a talk. And by that time, the very few relatives I had in the UK, most of them are abroad. Um, you know, they kind of accepted that from me. And they again, they were supportive and, and gave their duas. May Allah bless them all. But then you, you know, at some point in your life, it's, uh, it's not as the activity is not there so much. So. You can, on the one hand, hope in Allah's mercy that, inshallah, ta'ala, ya'ala, it's, 
it's still, you know, hopefully it's still good and by your grace. But one should also feel inside that if it's good, it's only by Allah forgiving me and overlooking my sins. It's probably never good because I deserved it. So, um, and so one can't say. And so what is our dua? Astaghfirullah and Rabbana taqabbal minna. What else can there be? What else can there be uh, with, uh, with people who know that they are not like the great ones of the past and, and is like, are likely never to be? Um, so uh, let's be careful of now that I've settled in, in a married, marital nine to five life. It could be a new way of worshipping Allah and Him elevating my status. But it could also be disgrace. And the best way to tell that is just let's look at our inward and outward religious practice. Uh, if it's... Uh, if it's gone along the horizontal line... That's inshallah, hopefully a good thing, meaning that I've increased and increased and increased with every passing year. I do more prayers. I fast more. I give more charity. I fulfill more rights. And that's probably a, a, that inshallah time is a good thing. Uh, hopefully inshallah. If it increases, if, if the horizontal stays constant, meaning I'm doing more or less uh, a, a, a basic stuff, basic faraid, basic obligations, but I'm increasing vertically. I'm deepening my connection to Allah. Um, I'm kind of reading just the same amount of Quran, but now I'm reflecting and pondering over it more. I find myself now, by the time I would just even read a verse, my, my mind and heart is gone off that way and thinking, subhanAllah. Or astaghfirullah, or ya Allah, you know, um, you know, forgive me, or you know, ashkurullah, thank you, God, because I'm so thinking about it, or my prayer is more meaningful because it's deepened, and so my basic level of practice, my basic faraid, has stayed constant, but there is a deepening. Again, that's a good thing. But if it be that. There is neither deepening there, neither horizontal increase, nor more. Uh, and actually, um, I'm more interested in material goods. And zuhud is, you know, worldly detachment is kind of just drifting further and further away from me. <coughs> um, that could be one of the telltale signs of things perhaps not going well, but all of that can be restored. All of that can be restored. All of it can be restored through sincere tawbah and repenting to Allah and asking him, Ya Allah, please help mend my ways and lift me out of the disgrace that I put myself in. And that is the uh, that is the the beauty of Tawheed and of 
worshipping <coughs> and all merciful, all merciful, all forgiving Lord. So we've been on air, I've been on air for 45 minutes, the show's been 45 minutes. I was going to do the next hadith, which is a follow-up to this, and then mention the three pillars of spiritual practice. But I think because it's, I think it's, I, I personally think it's been a heavy discussion and I don't think uh, I should add to it anything more. But I will preempt next, next week's discussion, which is about uh, good companionship by saying that the three pillars of spiritual practice that I will discuss in greater length next week, how do we keep our Iman alive, thriving and flourishing and flowering with these three pillars of spiritual practice so that in our period of rest or lesser activity, we can be firm and deep. And what are those three pillars? Adaul Faraid. Oh, sorry, let's flip it around. Tarkul Haram, Dawam Dhikr, and Suhba Ma'as Salihin. Tarkul Haram, abandoning, shunning the forbidden, shunning the Haram, which includes not missing the obligations because not doing an obligation is haram as well, right? Eating pork is haram, but not praying is haram. Drinking wine is haram, but not fasting in Ramadan is haram, okay? So when I say tarqul haram, keeping away from the prohibitions, we understand that means doing the obligations. We understand tarqul haram automatically means ada'ul fara'i, fulfilling the obligations. So tarqul haram, because the amount of darkness that comes on the heart and the amount of distance between us and Allah through just doing haram is just indescribable. May Allah protect us. Dawam or dhikr, trying to be in a constant, in a, in a continuous habit of constantly remembering Allah, even if it's just with the tongue, with the heart having a little minimal share. Better that the tongue makes dhikr, even if the heart isn't present, um, because at least the tongue is is making dhikr. That's what uh, the ulama like Al-Ghazali, Ibn Al-Qayyim say. In fact, I don't know any major classical scholar who says that silly modern thing that ignorant, ignoramuses amongst the Muslims say, oh, what's the point of making dhikr uh, if your heart's not in it? <laughs> well, what's the point of praying if your heart's not in it, if your heart's not in it? And you know what? If that was the case, none of us would ever pray a prayer because, you know, how much khushu do we have in, in the prayer. Well, if your heart's not in it, don't bother. No, that's not the way of our awliya and ulama. They have a, a good understanding. They say better that the tongue is making dhikr even if the heart's not there, than not to do anything at all. Okay, so dawam al-dhikr, because the dhikr has just these immense, immense, immense benefits in ways that we couldn't imagine. And thirdly, suhba ma'asalihin, companion, righteous companionship, not knowledgeable companionship. Brother spewing all his religious knowledge to you. No, you're not interested in that. You're interested in godly companionship, right? Which we'll discuss next week because hadith number 20, uh, 21 is the importance of keeping good companionship. Okay. 
but I mentioned it here just so that we could think about it and even just start actualizing it. So with that, Jazakallah khairan to all the uh, uh, to all your um, uh, your comments and your your, your feedback, uh, Frank. Mashallah, may Allah bless you. Uh, and uh, seeing us, uh, may Allah bless you if, uh, if you benefited from it, which it seems you have. Then, uh, then really, uh, it's it's because of two things: um, grace from God, and that Allah has given you and is giving you an attentive heart. Um, because when Allah gives us an attentive heart, it's because He wants to take us somewhere, and it's not because of the way the speaker is speaking uh, it's really likely to be the way the heart is receiving the knowledge um barakallah barakillahi barakillahi fikum to you as well sister salma uh, may allah bless you and, and all your family uh, and malahat as well uh, barakallah fikum to you uh, and to sister layla and all of those who've uh, joined in we're going to begin to round up i think today um, hadith number uh, hadith number 20 that was uh, and uh, sister Khadija may Allah bless you uh, one of my oldest students for many years decades maybe decade uh, sister Layla uh, if there are any final questions um, we can go for it or let's just let's just settle on what we heard and what we've kind of encountered today. Thank Allah, seek his aid and assistance um, and see each other next week, inshallah ta'ala. Allahumma alif bayna qulubina wa asli dhata baynana wa jannah min al-rashdeen. Allahumma rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa bil akhirati hasana wa qina adhab al-nar. Allahumma inna nasaluk al-huda wa tuqa wa al-afafa wa al-ghina سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين I've been your host Sarkhil Abu Alia This has been Faith Foundation and you have been watching Stream Islam Until next week والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله